Mac Power Users, Episode 75, Remote Access. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks along with Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. Hey, David. We're here today to talk about remote access. And um, when I was getting ready for this show, I was talking to a couple people about it. And it was surprising to me how many people don't even really know what remote access is. Uh, what it is really is it allows you to share your screen or see somebody else's screen, I guess, is a better way to put it. Uh, remote access is the process of using a Mac or an iOS device to virtually be sitting at another chair. You think that's a good way to put it? That's a good way of putting it. You know, and, and the dream of remote access is I can, you know, go home at night and still be able to work on my work PC without spending late hours at the office. Or I can provide technical support to my family members who are afar without having to sit on the phone with them. Okay, okay, go to the Apple. No, 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 the Apple thing up in the upper left. No, no, okay, God, come down. Do you see? You know, you can actually see their screen and, yeah. and interact. Yeah, with I it. hate that. I hate that, man. Oh. Just trying to explain it to them and... You know, the little one that looks like an apple with a bite in the top left corner, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it's really come a long way, though. And the idea for this show is to give an overview and the the best tools for making it work. Because, you know, we're looking at people who want to share between uh, their Macs or people who want to share with a Windows PC. And then you add the whole iOS devices to the mix. You've got the iPad and the iPhone. And those are really great remote access devices, too. I mean, and one of the things I'm going to talk about in the show is how awesome it is to sit down with my iPad and run my office PC through it. It's kind of neat. Um, so a little bit magical. Yeah, well, we're going to do that. Um, uh, so, you know, remote access is actually pretty important. And if you haven't used it yet, take a listen through the show so you can figure out, number one, that it's really not that hard. And number two, give some thought to how you could use it in your computing, because I think there's a lot of people that could benefit from these tools. And, you know, one of the things that really struck me as we were researching the show, I, I found some solutions that have worked with me and I've tend to stuck with them. But as researching the show has taught me, there are a lot of great solutions out there and remote access doesn't have to be expensive or complicated. It, it used to be one of these things that you had to get the IT guy involved and set up all of these things and do port forwarding and, you know, allow your router to do this and that. And it's it's really over the years become a lot simpler and a lot easier for you know, the common person and the power user to make work for them. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I mean, when you first began down this road of remote access, it really seemed magical in terms of, of hard magic. I mean, you needed the magic incantation to get a computer to be able to go through the firewall and get through your router. And you needed the magic incantation on the, the host computer to accept the connection. And a lot of that. And it was easy to break. Yeah, and, and randomly. Like, it would work, and then 10 minutes later, even though you hadn't touched anything, things just would stop working. And as a result, a lot of people said, you know, this is sounds like a great idea, but, you know, the investment isn't worth the return, and I'm not going to bother. That has changed. It's a lot easier now. And I think that's a really excellent point. As an example, I got called the other day. I was driving to work, and somebody calls me from the office and so-and-so is sick. I need you to go to court and cover for him. So literally I go left turn or right turn. So I take the right turn. I go to court on a case. I know nothing about, I mean, I'm completely clueless and I'm in there and the judge is all, okay, well we need to set a trial date. Well, that's great. I have a calendar on my iPad that's exchange connected to my office and I know exactly what my trial availability is. 
But, you know, Mr. Sick Guy, I don't know his calendar, right? So I open up my remote access app on my iPad, sitting in the judges chambers, push a button. Within about 15 seconds, I'm logged into my office PC. Then I can go into the office network and see the other guy's calendar. And we could set a trial date that didn't screw him up. Um, I mean, that's silly, but that's just an example of how useful this stuff is. Yeah, I, I actually had a very similar situation yesterday with remote access where I was prepping for a deposition and unbeknownst to me, um, the file got taken out. You know, I had the file in my briefcase ready to go and something had come in at the last minute and my assistant took the file out of my briefcase to put a piece of paper in it and the file never got put back in my briefcase before I grabbed my briefcase and walked out the door. So I left for a deposition without a file that I needed. So I'm sitting with my laptop at the deposition taking notes. Not a problem. We scan most of our stuff in at the office. I was able to remote access in from the deposition, pull up the scan copy, and there I had it. So it is it is uh, very, very helpful to have. And I guess we should throw out the, the general caveat here that if you are in a work environment where you are not the IT person and you are not the boss, probably need to run this by them and make sure that you're doing this through the acceptable protocols before you install any kind of remote access client software on your work PC. Yeah, it really depends on your IT people. Some are really cooperative and some aren't. Uh, that being said, I don't think it's that hard to set this up yourself, except I, I wouldn't do it at work without approval. At least I don't want anybody getting fired from my <laughs> show, but the, um, but it, it really isn't that difficult. And, and if, frankly, if you get some pushback, I would say, well, let me show you how easy it is. And maybe you can convert other people in the office, like the guys who make the decisions, and uh, they'll want it just as bad as you do. It, it really is not that difficult. That being said, this would have really been a good show to bring in someone like George Starcher or, or one of our security uh, friends, because there are some security elements to this, and there's some really um, high-end networking stuff to the back end of this stuff. And and I, I've researched it quite a bit. I've, I've read a couple books on it. I mean, I spent a lot of time studying VNC and these remote access technologies when I wrote the books for Wiley. I feel like I know them pretty well, but I certainly don't know them as well as a guy who lives and breathes this stuff every day. And I'm sure we'll probably, I'm going to try to avoid giving a lot of overly technical explanations because of that. But uh, let me know if I screw something up, we'll get it in the in the feedback. But I'm I'm really trying not to make this about you know, which port you open, because that's just going to lead to pain and suffering. But And it's going to be different for many people, depending on their setup. Yeah, that, that's the other problem, exactly, is, is every setup is a little different. So what works on my machine may not work on yours. So I'd rather talk generally about the big tools and how to set them up to work um, so you don't have to know that information. I think that's kind of the overview. But let me know if I screw something up. Like I said, I'm I'm definitely capable of doing that. Um, I thought what we'd do first, though, is start with talking about Apple solutions for connecting to Macs. Be okay. Because in Mac OS X, there's quite a few uh, remote access tools baked right in. So you don't have to go buy anything for some of this stuff. And uh, this may be all you need for a lot of people, especially if you're basically a Mac household or a Mac office and you just need to get between these two Macs. Um, the, the first one is the built-in screen sharing app. And I think that showed up with... Is it? I think it was Snow, Le uh, uh, Snow, Snow Leopard. I think it was Snow Leopard. I think it yes. was Snow Leopard where that showed up. I mean, they always had the remote access stuff, but they kind of made it easier with that app. And um, and what it does is it, it's exactly what it says. It's screen sharing, so you can jump between Macs 
uh, in your household or, or over the, uh, the internet with that. Right. Now, there are a couple of things that you have to do to configure this, and Apple makes it pretty simple. Um, in your system preferences, you do have to go to the sharing system preference pane and click the box to turn on screen sharing. Um, and Apple makes that pretty simple. Now, you can allow access for all users. You can allow access for administrators. You can allow access for only specific users and, and go from there. But you do have to check that tick box to turn on screen sharing. Otherwise, that service won't even be available. That's true throughout the sharing services, and uh, as far as I know, all of these applications are going to require it because that's a system-level thing. Uh, both file sharing and screen sharing, and I guess I should have said that at the top of the show, uh, in terms of remote access, there's really two big things you can do. There's The first is screen sharing, where your remote computer screen reflects the screen of the, the computer that you've connected to. So that's kind of the sitting in the chair analogy I used at the top of the show. The other one is file sharing, where you're not looking at the screen of the computer, but you have access to the computer's file system, which is real handy if you just need to grab a file off the computer. Right. Um, so, so for both of those, you need to go into that preference pane, and file sharing and screen sharing are two things you can turn on there. And take a, and, take a look at the privileges in terms of who can do it. Right, and then think about... When you want to have these on and off, when you want to have them on, you know, in, on your local network in your house or office setting is one thing. Having them on when you're traveling to a conference or sitting in Starbucks is another. Yeah. And you're talking about on your laptop at that point. Correct. Yeah. I tend to leave screen sharing on um, and I, I tend to leave file sharing off by default unless I need something. Yeah. And um, for me, and for me, I generally leave it on with my home computer and rarely have it on with my laptop. Right. Yeah, for both of those settings. Okay, so you, you turn that on, and um, then how do you get into the screen sharing app? you want to talk about it? Yeah, well, the, the easiest way to do it is, um, is let's, let's talk about it with Line. It's pretty much the same if you're, if you're running Snow Leopard or, or a different version of the OS. But on that toolbar on the left side of a screen of any Finder window, um, you should see under the Shared column, and if you don't have the Shared column, you can turn that on in the Preferences, all of the computers that are available on your network, Apple will go out and find those through Bonjour. So, for example, when I'm sitting here in my house recording this podcast, I see Katie's Mac Mini because I have the MacBook Air that I'm recording this podcast on, and I have the Mac Mini. Now, by default, I don't have file sharing turned on, but I do have screen sharing turned on. So when I click on that Mac Mini, I don't see any files, but I do see an option to share the screen. So if I click share the screen, it will prompt me to log in with a username and a password. You can choose to share that uh, to uh, save that in your keychain if you want to or not. Um, there are a couple of options once you log in and you've got the screen sharing set up. It will pop up a window, so it's a window on top of your regular desktop. And in Lion specifically, they've made a couple of enhancements to screen sharing. It used to be that you really just shared the screen and, and what you saw was what you got and you could move the cursor and do what you wanted. Um, but with Lion, they've got a couple of other features. First, if you haven't already, look up at the top. There's a menu bar that you may not notice if you're you're too focused on looking at what's on the screen. And you can uh, activate what's called the toolbar. So in the toolbar, you'll get a few more options. And that can be um, to allow the screen to fit in the window. You can get the contents of the clipboard or send contents to the clipboard. You can capture the screen. And in the view option in the menu, you can decide whether or not you want to use the actual display, the virtual display, or be in what's called observe mode. So the virtual display in observe mode is something that's new in line, which means that 
with a virtual display, you can see the screen, but the person, if they were actually sitting in front of that computer, is just going to see the log on screen. So it's like bringing a curtain up in front of them so they can't see what you're doing. And in observe mode, you can see what they're doing, but not control. So it's in a spy mode. It's really robust. I mean, when they first started this, it was pretty rudimentary. But as the operating system has advanced, they keep adding features to this. Um, I find this is almost, you know, for linking two Macs, this is enough. And yeah. it works just great. And it's it's so simple. You just go into the finder. You don't even have to load an app. The the other thing that you can do now in Lion that you may not be aware of is, David, I know you've got a family-based, you know, iMac in your house. You've got your own MacBook Air laptop, but you've got kind of the, the family iMac that I would imagine uh, your wife and your daughters all have accounts on. Yeah. So let's say that your daughter is sitting in front of the iMac doing her homework and you don't want to interrupt her, but you really need to get a file or you need to see something that's on the iMac and you're sitting on the couch with your MacBook Air. Well, you can screen share, if she's logged into her account, you can screen share into your account on the iMac and not disturb her. Yeah, it's great. That's great. That's a a new feature. And she doesn't think that I'm creepy. Yes. You can be creepy if you want, though, too. No, I I don't do that. I I don't play that game. I don't recommend it. Man, you know, I just got some tea. It is so good. (laughs) Pete's. Pete's oolong. I, I'm, I'm usually not a fan of like Starbucks tea and those places, but Pete's got some good tea. Sorry. Squirrel. Okay. Um, so, so you've got the built-in screen sharing and you've also got this other service. It gets kind of confusing. There's a, Apple has another service back to my Mac. All right. Now we should clarify. Screen sharing works through Bonjour. It's the built-in app and it works on any Mac on your network. So pretty much in your house. Yeah. So if you're on the same Wi-Fi network, or the hardwired network, whatever. Yeah, you hit the screen sharing button and you're in. Okay. And if you're working but, in your office or you're working at home, that's all you need. Yeah. So we can take that a step further with Apple's Back to My Mac service, which is now free with iCloud. Yeah. It used to be pay with, with MobileMe, but now that iCloud became free, it's one of the services that was included with that. Yeah. And so Back to My Mac gives you that same screen sharing and file sharing utility uh, when you're not on the network and it handles the, the handshake. And I'm going to talk about the handshake later when we get to VNC. Uh, and I guess you would call this a form of VNC, but uh, you know, the, the trouble with all of this, and this is why everybody hated it when it began is that all that hard stuff about figuring out how to hook two computers together with the internet in between and, and firewalls and routers and everything. Apple tries to take care of that for you through the iCloud service. And that's what back to my Mac is. Right. And back to my Mac works best if you're using Apple's hardware. Now, that's not to say that it won't work if you're not using Apple's router hardware. Um, you know, technically what you need is NAT port mapping must be enabled in your hardware. But I personally have found that it's been a little wonky if you're not using Apple hardware. And I think part of that has to do that if you're using an Apple Apple uh, Airport Extreme or Time Capsule or whatever, you can you can log in with your iCloud ID, and I think that helps to facilitate something. But basically, the iCloud facilitation is just says, "Hey, this Mac is here. This Mac is here. When you guys want to connect up, don't worry, I've got you. I know where they are." You don't have to use Apple hardware, but but it does work better. And I think it's one an example of this thing where when you have the same company controlling the hardware and the software, I mean, the the argument that everybody always makes for Apple in general, and. Right. 
I would suspect, just like uh, when Microsoft makes something for the Xbox, they know exactly what the parameters of uh, they are dealing with. Um, where Apple's making this service, you're darn sure it's going to work with the Apple stuff because that's what they're using at Apple, right? And and I've tend to found that that the more critical piece of hardware is the hardware for the computer that you're trying to access. So, for example, I've accessed my Mac at home from work, which we don't use Apple hardware at work, and from hotels where you, they certainly aren't using Apple hardware, and who knows what kind of wonky stuff they're using at hotels. So I think the more critical piece in that puzzle is is having the Apple hardware at the machines that you want to access. Yeah, I don't have any explanation for why, but I've had the exact same experience. So, yeah. uh, you know, we've never really talked on this show about Apple routers. and We I, did a little bit. We did do a networking show. That's right. It was, it was a while yeah. ago. I'm we've a fan of it. I know they're a little more expensive, but they're so much easier to configure. And if you've already got the Apple stuff in the house, why not, you know? Mm-hmm. And it also kind of ties into the backup. I I do I use a time capsule, so I do too. I tell you, if my Apple router died tomorrow, I without question go get an I, Amazon Prime another one, so it'd be here the next day. Yeah. Okay, so if you're interested in that kind of thing, and you're going to be doing a lot of remote access through back to my Mac, and not using some of the other services we're going to cover later in the show, uh, it's probably worth the investment to get yourself some Apple hardware and save yourself some headaches at some point. Yeah. Um, uh, there's some other services, though, uh, that Apple has for what I would kind of call quasi-remote access. It's not the virtual chair type of remote access. Well, actually, one of them is, but the uh, but they're different. And the first one showed up in line is called AirDrop. And it's not remote control of your computer, but it is, it is remote file access, or I guess it, I would better say file sharing. It gives you the ability to take a file from one computer, and even without being on the same Wi-Fi network, uh, drop that file on another computer, and it does this through Wi-Fi, but it doesn't have to be on the same network. It's kind of it's kind of neat. Um, have you ever used this, Katie? Yeah, I've used it. Um, the the one frustration I have is that it does kind of have to be on Wi-Fi. And my, for example, my Mac Mini is is hardwired, and I've turned Wi-Fi off to to keep conflicts uh, away. So that that's a little bit frustrating. But there, I think there are some terminal hacks that you can use to get around that. Although they're a little bit flaky. When did you get a Mac Mini? Mac Mini, uh, right before Christmas, I think. Ah, I think there uh, might be a show on that. There might be a show on that. I'm still experimenting on how to use it. I've got it connected to my TV, but I'm I'm not really using it as a media center at all. I much prefer the Apple TV, but I'm using it for all kinds of just general stuff. Okay, so uh, Katie makes a good point. Uh, if you are on a, uh, if you're at home and you've got one computer plugged in with copper and another one on Wi-Fi. AirDrop's not going to work. And you know, the idea behind AirDrop, I just used it last night because I'm mm-hmm. reconfiguring my computer and I needed to install the ScanSnap uh, software on my laptop. And I have the ScanSnap CD. The first thing I always do when I get a CD for software is I burn an image of it. I make a disk image of it so I don't have to like monkey with CDs in the future. I wanted to get it onto my laptop. So I just, you know, opened the lid on my laptop, dragged it over an AirDrop, and it sent it over over the Wi Fi network and it was on my desktop. It's great. Um, the uh, if you have your computer plugged into copper, though, it's not going to work. You have to turn off the Wi-Fi. And if you have certain Macs, it's not going to work because I think it's like pre two thousand eight Macs don't have the proper Wi-Fi chip to do that. So it's not perfect, but it's a pretty nice solution. I always thought it'd be nice. You know, my office isn't all Mac, but if we had an, an all Mac office, I think it would be nice to be able to send files back and forth to each other as you're working on projects uh, together. 
Um, I do want to take just just one step backwards and, and mention one note about security when we were talking about back to my Mac and screen sharing and and specifically back to my Mac. Um, and and that deals with security and it it gets back to the same concept of of having strong passwords because um, the thing with back to my Mac is that if someone has physical access to your computer and can log in, so they know your login password. Um, or they know your iCloud account password such that they can install iCloud onto a computer that they know of, and you have Back to My Mac enabled, they could then remote access using Back to My Mac into your computer. So this is just a plug for having a good password on your uh, on your iCloud account. Well, I think that's a good point in general for this whole show, is when you're getting remote access, what does it take to get in? It usually takes a piece of software an account name, and a password. And almost every tool we're going to talk about on this show, you could be on any Mac or iOS device, download a piece of software, and with that information, sometimes you might need an IP number too, it depends, but with with a limited amount of information, you are going to be able to sit at somebody else's chair. So whenever you turn this stuff on, uh, you are opening yourself up to that possibility. I don't think it's a reason not to do it. I think if this stuff is useful to you, you can still get away with it. I just think you need to be really careful about your passwords. In fact, we have a sponsor that can talk about passwords, don't we? Yeah, we can. I think we'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah, all right. So uh, be careful, but at the same time, don't be terrified of it. I, I use remote access. I'm comfortable with it. I do have some really awesome passwords, and they change pretty frequently. But um, but it's it's okay, you know. All right, Um the other Apple product that's probably worth mention at this point is Apple Remote Desktop. And Apple Remote Desktop is really um, a lot more than remote access. It's it's really a, a network management tool, I think would be a good way to put it. Uh, it's a lot cheaper now. It's only 80 bucks in the App Store. Did you know that they put it in the App Store? Yeah, they put it in the App Store, and it's a family license for 80 bucks. Yeah. So you can... Yeah. So, so really what Apple Remote Desktop is, it's a remote administration tool. So with it, you can sit at one Mac and you can install software updates and install security protocols and give remote assistance to people. I mean, some of the people I know that use this a lot, I know a friend who's a teacher and he runs a computer lab at a, at a middle school that's all Macs and he spends his whole day in remote access, you know, I'm sorry, in, in Apple remote desktop. So he's keeping an eye on the kids. He can watch what they're doing on their screens. He can make sure that, you know, the, the computers are locked down so they can't install software or download porn and all the other stuff kids do. Um, so that's really what that tool's for. It, it's overkill for just the purpose of remote access, but it's worth mentioning in the show. So if you want to uh, become the master of your domain and manage all the computers in your home or your office, take a look at uh, Apple Remote Desktop, especially if they're all Macs. Uh, if you're just looking to get uh, screen sharing and file sharing, uh, use the tools we talked about already with Back to My Mac and the um, the other built-in app, uh, the Remote Access app. I guess it's called screen sharing. Yeah, yeah, and and the re- Apple Remote Desktop apps comes with some with a a lot of unique set of of tools specifically for administrators and um, sysadmins or people who need to to manage a lot of Macs. You know, they come with some very specialized automator scripts. You know, we did that whole show on automator not long ago for managing these Macs. It comes with the ability to deploy software to a whole group of Macs. So 
it's it's really designed for a small office setting, and I think it would be priceless for that. But although I guess if I don't know if you have a medium to large size family that's all Max, you're getting there. Well, it's for eighty bucks. It's not that you know the the barrier to entry is pretty low. I think it used to be two hundred dollars if memory serves. Yeah. I mean, how many Max do you have in your house? Um, you know what's sad? I have to think <laughs> about it. <laughs> we've, we've got a family shared iMac, and we've got. A, uh, I've got a laptop. My wife has a laptop. My one of my daughters has a laptop, but um, and then we have an old iMac. And but two of those computers are are two th- are you know circa two thousand five and really on the way out. So yeah, so you're you're like four to five Macs plus some iOS device. Yeah, and you I know, think you qualify as a sysadmin. Well, we we've talked about it in the past, and we're we're really looking as uh, as a new iPad comes out. I'm probably get the new one, and then. We're going to be recycling down the family and uh, and getting rid of some of the older Macs. Because, I mean, my kids aren't bothering to learn how to type. I have done everything in my power to convince them to learn how to type. And they just don't care. And maybe it's because the way things work now, people don't need to type. I don't know. Um, and at a really? certain point, I just people said... Don't, uh- Shocks it was so useful to me, and but I'm not going to, you know, I my parents didn't convince me to type. I went and took a class, so if they're not going to... That was without a doubt the best class I took. I don't remember if I took it in middle school or high school, but the typing class where they actually take the keys off the keypad and you have to learn how to type without looking at the keys. Yeah, I agree. And best the, and best the, experience ever. And the voice technologies are really getting great, and there's a lot of neat things happening, but I still think they should learn to type. But either way, they haven't learned, so I'm okay with them just having... Uh, iPads and then one shared iMac in the house when you get to the point that you need a computer. Either way, um, I think I went off there the ledge a little bit, didn't I? That's all right. Okay, so so Apple Remote Desktop is a, is overkill for probably most people, but it is a solution and it is kind of fun. I mean, I think uh, I I've only used it a little bit. I had a, a temporary license when I wrote the Mac at Work book to work with it, but. Uh, I haven't felt a burning desire to go spend eighty dollars to to buy it for real. So we'll see, we'll see. Hey, hey, we got a new sponsor. We do. Let's get so let's get back on track with our with our new sponsor. Yeah. So this new sponsor is Daisy Disk, and it's an app in the Mac App Store. And I am so glad they signed on because I bought this product when they first hit the Mac App Store, and I absolutely love it. So Daisy Disk is a disk management. Um, Software, you know, it allows you to look at your your disk, especially now that we've all got these SSDs. It's really a pain, right? I, it's so important now to be able to slim down the stuff that we carry on these hard drives because we were all spoiled by having five hundred gigabyte hard drives in our in our laptops, seven hundred and fifty gigabyte hard drives. You can you can now get a terabyte hard drive for your laptop. The problem is, compared to these SSDs, they are so slow. Yeah, and there's this long line of um, of software you know, open source and all the software over the years that has been disk management software. And they all have one thing in common. They're all ugly as sin and they don't like use graphics at all. Or if they do, it's really blocky and difficult to understand. Daisy disk just nails this. They, what they do, it's a interactive concentric circle map of your hard drive. And it shows exactly what you have and where it is. And it breaks it down by your users, your library, your applications, your systems, and everything is color coded. So when it runs its magic on you, it gives you this, this kind of circular display and you can just click on whichever big pieces of the circle show up and it tells you exactly what that is. Right. And so you can see if, for example, you know, all of a sudden, where did my hard drive space go? Where you get the warning that you're running low on hard drive space, 
where did that space go? Is it because you had this big movie file that you finished long ago, but you forgot to delete or archive off all the pieces to it? Yeah, I did that. I found an eight gig iMovie project, something that I had done for a family friend like a year ago. And Hmm. it wasn't even my kid. You know, I just made the movie, sent it to him, but I had all those assets and I completely forgot about it. Chewing up eight gigs of my precious SSD. Yeah. And I do this all the time when we edit the podcast, we easily end up with temporary files of, you know, four to six gigs every week. And I, I try to make a point to, to roll them off. And, and sometimes I forget cause I keep them on there for a little while, just in case we mess something up. And all of a sudden I see my disk space going down to null and uh, Daisy disk is really an easy at a glance way to determine exactly where your disk space is going and, and how you can get rid of those files safely and, and get all your hard drive space back. Yeah. And it does more than that. You can, you can drill through, you can drag a piece of your Daisy disc um, circle over to this. There's a little drop uh, collection point in the lower left, lower left portion of the screen. And you can delete the files right there. You can open them in the finder if you want to see them. Um, I use it to track down uh, wild folders. For instance, uh, OmniFocus, I'm always running backups and, you know, I'm kind of manic about it because I run a lot of betas for Omni. <laughs> And uh, so I'm running backups all the time. I had like, you know, 10 gigabytes of backups in my OmniFocus wow. folder without realizing it. First, I found it with Daisy Disk, And then uh, that, you know, made me aware of the problem. So I created a Hazel rule that says only keep the last 30 days, you know, backups, which is probably too much anyway, of OmniFocus. And it automatically deletes them. And all of a sudden, that little piece of Daisy Disk got a lot smaller. So it's great. Uh, it's ten dollars in the Mac App Store. It used to be when I bought it, it was twenty. So it's it's got a little cheaper. It's and it's a great app. Yeah, actually, the the regular price is nineteen ninety nine. It's currently on sale fifty percent off. So okay, go grab it while you can. Oh yeah, well definitely go buy it. It's it's so worth ten dollars. You know, it's it's a Mac app. You know, it's got the attention to detail that us as Mac users expect. Um, send them a note at Daisy Disk. Tell them that you heard about them from us. Uh, you know, when we have sponsors through the Mac App Store, they never know where the customers come from. And we appreciate letting them know that our, our listeners are listening. And um, check it out. I just think that you can't go wrong for 10 bucks. And uh, thank you, Daisy Disk, for supporting the Mac Power users. All right, so let's talk about something that's a little less fun with remote desktop, and that's connecting to a Windows box. Unfortunately, it's a it's a fact of life that a lot of us have to do when we're when working on Windows PCs with the day job. Oh, I don't know. It's not less fun. I mean, when you think about it, the idea that you can remote access into a Windows computer, uh, it, it's liberating because it means that you, then you can get away with a Mac. I, I use a Mac at, at the office all day. Uh, right. We've got a Windows network, and it runs a couple apps that are legal centric and they're only on the uh, windows computers and they do have a windows computer for me at the office that I never sit at. And <laughs> it's because of remote. And just access. sitting in a corner somewhere yeah, without a screen. Essentially. I mean, it, it does have a screen on it and once in a blue yeah. moon, I'll sit at it, but I mean, very rarely. It, and all that's done through remote access. And I don't have to, you know, returning to the Daisy disk, but I don't have to use up my precious SSD space to install windows and right. run parallels because of remote access. I can just remote in and it works just fine. I do that every day. Um, so, and I use, um, I use Microsoft, uh, remote, uh, gosh, I, I just remote desktop client, yes, I think is what RDC. it's called. It's, it, yeah. Um, is, is what they have set up is what our technical guys have set up at the office for us to remote access into. They've actually got a, a login set up on our server for us to remote access. And, and that's, that's how we use remote access 
to, to gain access to stuff on our office. So we use that all the time. It, it works on a Mac. It works on a PC. So you can download the remote desktop client on your Mac. Um, or if you happen to be using a PC at home and you want to remote into another Windows machine, you can do it from there. But it is like you are sitting in front of the PC. Now, the PC that you want to be using has to be turned on. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I talked to and connected to the internet. I I talked to a person at Microsoft when I was writing Mac at work because it was confusing to me the difference between RDC and VNC, virtual network computer, which we're going to talk about next. And RDC really is a different animal. RDC is built right into Windows and it essentially is remote access as part of the operating system. So, whereas VNC would normally you'd have host software and client software. Uh, RDC is VNC baked in really. So you don't have any of that stuff. You just tap into an IP number and using the RDC client, then you have your windows login and username, just as if you were sitting at your office at your desk. And I keep saying that over and over in the show, but this is probably the most accurate representation of it because it truly is um, that software on your computer being run uh, remotely. And uh, and that's very important because if you want it to be as simple and as user-friendly as possible, we, we have a lot of um, less technical savvy and, and some older partners at my firm who are able to use RDC because when they, when they log, we were, when we went to the solution, we were looking for a solution that looked very familiar to people. So when they logged into it from home, they were seeing something very familiar and it worked just like they were sitting at their desk. We didn't want, you know, some kind of different kind of file sharing system where you could access things from home. We wanted something to be like you were sitting at your desk. So from a usability standpoint, there was no learning curve. Yeah. And this is probably one of my very favorite Microsoft products because, uh, you know, they didn't have to build a Mac client, I guess. And they did, and they did a pretty good job of it. So uh, RDC for Mac, I'll put it in the show notes is a free Macintosh application, which plugs straight into the Microsoft windows RDC um, system. So you install that on your computer and you, I believe I may get this wrong, but I believe you need a dedicated IP number for the computer that you are getting into. Um, That's my understanding. I've I've only seen it done that way. If there's a way around that, please let me know. Uh, But generally you've got to have the IP number. So you've got to have the address or the door to go knock on. So you hook that up, then you're, your Macintosh will knock on the door for that IP number. And assuming you've got all everything set up, right. Uh, you'll see the screen from your office PC. And uh, I do this both remotely over the internet and uh, on the same network at work. I mean, like when I said, when I sit at my standing desk with my 13 inch MacBook air, it's looking at, I've got one screen or one space devoted to that PC computer. Uh, so built for windows. Uh, if you don't want to do that, you can, you can use like parallels or you know something like that, but that's a lot more difficult. It uses more space on a computer, and that becomes running a remote. I'm sorry, that becomes running a computer, a a Windows computer on your Mac as opposed to remotely accessing it. In a lot of ways, that's an inferior solution. As an example, at my office, we've got some software that accesses certain documents and assets on the network. Just the fact that I would have Windows installed on my laptop wouldn't be good enough. It would still have to have links to all those assets. Right. Now you, you mentioned it, but you brushed over it kind of quickly. So when you take your Mac and you go into the office, you've got this, this piece, David's PC, which is sitting somewhere in your office, but very seldom used, just very lonely in a corner somewhere collecting dust. 
but it's turned on and it has been configured appropriately by whoever your IT people are or whatever to hook into all of the other um, PC-based assets into your office. So either your billing program or your, you know, whatever proprietary PC-based program that's not going to easily run on your Mac with with the appropriate hooks into your network. Yeah, I'd, I'd tell you the specific apps, but that would make me cry. Okay. So then what you do is either you launch you, you launch RDC and do you launch it in full screen mode or do you launch it, you know, in a, in a kind of in a window and then you just put it in its own space or how do you do it? This In the morning, I hit control space, launch bar, RDC, mm-hmm. enter. Mm-hmm. And then that opens it up and then I just have to type in my password. I don't have it remember my password because obviously right. if someone got my Mac, they would have full access. Um, and uh, then it runs... There's a there's a preference setting and the preference for me is full screen mode, and it gets a space. Actually, it really doesn't. I should back up. It doesn't run full screen mode, the RDC client um, for the Mac. But I, all right, this is kind of difficult. (laughs) I'm struggling to explain because you can tell it that you want to run as a full screen app. Okay. But not a lion type full screen app. You don't get the two little right. arrows in the upper right corner, but it still takes over your screen as if it is a full screen app. So what I do Which is why you've put it in its own space. Exactly. I create a separate desktop space and and lion spaces and I put it on that space. But it, it's not like a a standard lion full screen app where you see the name of the app below it. It just sees it as a desktop with a full screen app running on it. So, does that make sense? That, no, that makes sense. It's kind of hard to dis- describe because it's confusing. It, it is full screen uh, in the sense that it takes over the screen, but it's not full screen in the lion sense of full screen. But anyway, so I do that, and then I just run that thing in the background. And some days I'll be in there quite a bit if I'm using those dreadful apps, and some days I won't be in there much at all. But I have the access to it if I need it. And and this is what I use um, from home when I need to access files on our our network, or we have a we have a couple of real estate based specific programs that aren't available on the Mac, and, and so I'll use I'll use it similarly for that as well. So do you use so, it at work as well, or just at home? I use it primarily at home because um, at home to access files on the server at work. Because when I'm at I'm at work, usually I can have somebody else do the other stuff for me. Yeah, I saw a, a friend of mine has a um, Apple. 27 inch cinema display mounted over his standing desk. And I really wish I hadn't seen that because every, since I've seen it, <laughs> I am, now you have one. I am so pining one. away for one of those. <laughs> and uh, I think that's eventually what I'm going to do where I will have um, a big screen near my standing desk. And then I won't even run the windows as a full screen at that point, because the number of pixels on a 27 inch is not the number of pixels on my windows PC. So it would just be a separate window. But uh, that would be really nice if I could have all that stuff on at once. Maybe in the future. Anyway, yeah, so if you're looking to get into a Windows network, I think the starting point is RDC. And that makes makes Windows IT people pretty happy because it's something they're comfortable with. Yeah, exactly. And not only is it RDC Windows blessed and built on the Windows computer, but the RDC app on your Mac is also a Microsoft product. So... For people who are a little about, uh, for IT people who are leery of Macs, this really helps because they know, okay, we've got a Microsoft product on both ends and they can control that and they understand that and they're a lot more willing to do it. If you are looking to do RDC and you don't want to use the Windows client, which I think is a fine 
uh, client. Another one is Cord, uh, C-O-R-D. And I, th- I found that one kind of good, too. It allows you to have multiple logins. Um, it's not Microsoft, which is good and bad, depending on you know your particular needs. But that's another good Mac app that, that allows you to do an RDC connection. I'll put a link for that in the show notes. Now, what about VNC? Okay. And, and I talked about it a little bit earlier. VNC is, I think, the... You know, it's it's really uh, difficult to kind of put my finger on how to say what VNC is. The the more I study it, the more slippery it becomes. Uh, it is not really RDC because it's not baked into the operating system as much as it is a a methodology for connecting to computers. And generally, there's a couple things that seem to exist. It's platform agnostic, so VNC can work between just about anything: iOS, Linux, Windows, Mac, whatever. Um, it it usually, as far as I can tell, always requires a server and client software. So the computer that's going to be providing the screen has the server software, the computer that's going to be dialing in has the client, and they have to have a connection between them. And that connection is what I call, for lack of a better term, the handshake. Uh, Reading on the internet, I've seen other uh, tech people call it that. Um, maybe IT people would say that's the wrong phrase, but I think it's a good way to say it is you've got a computer uh, at some location trying to talk to a computer at another location. And in order to make sure that that connection works, you need the handshake in the middle to, to make that happen. And that is becomes the defining point for some of these VNC solutions is how do you accomplish the handshake? Um, there's other po- pieces to it as well, but I think that's a, a good way to do it. So VNC generally is the idea of remote access without a baked-in operating solution type, um, operating system type solution like we've been talking about so far in the show from Microsoft and Apple. And and there's some Mac apps for that. I know one that was very popular was Chicken of the VNC, but I don't think that has been updated recently. You know, I used to use the Chicken, and uh, and then another one that I used was Real VNC, and I have not used them in over a year and a half now because of some of the solutions we're going to talk about in a minute. But the advantage of using your own Mac software to create the server and the, and the client side of a VNC connection uh, is worth talking about. And that's the way it used to be. And that's why a lot of people got intimidated by remote access because they look at the chicken of the VNC and there's all these weird settings and there's things in there. They have no idea what it is. And then they're thinking, Oh my goodness, am I leaving my computer open to the whole world to dial into? And people would just say, no, thanks. Um, but the advantage of those, those locally baked solutions is that you have absolute control, right? Right. So you can decide exactly how the connection runs and you are in essence performing the handshake yourself. You're, you're deciding how that takes place. There's no third parties involved and you are the master of that connection. The downside is, is a massive hassle. And I think another downside is frankly the ability to screw it up. I mean, if you're a pro at this stuff, you're not going to do that. But if you're somebody who doesn't make your living uh, with information technology, there's a good chance you're going to do it in such a way that is going to leave you much more exposed than you think you are. So uh, if you're going to go with kind of the, uh, the your own VNC solution, make sure you know what the heck you're doing and get that, help that, if you don't. That could be a whole other show in and of itself, I think. I don't know, but I, I just think it, to be wary of it. And to be honest, I'm not in favor of doing that anymore. And 
and I'm sure I'll hear from people explain why I'm wrong, but the last few years we've had this rise of these third-party solutions uh, to create this handshake for you and to manage the software for you. And none of them, some of them are free, some of them are a little bit money, but none of them are overly expensive or cost prohibitive to the extent that you can't use them. And it, they're so much easier. Speaking of some easier services, let's let's talk about some of the new services that have popped up that have made life a lot easier. And those are web-based services. Now, obviously, the the pros of the web-based services are they are leaps and bounds easier than setting up your own VNC client, and in some spaces, you know, maybe even easier than using some of these these dedicated solutions like uh, remote access from Windows or others. You know, you just go to a web page and you log in, and you you let the third party, whoever they are, take control of the software and the handshake and all of that. Yeah, that's exactly um, what I was talking about. Is uh, and and probably my favorite one for that is log me in. Um, so what LogMeIn does is it allows you to create that connection between two computers and they handle the handshake. And, and so the, so now if we're talking about web-based solutions, it's the, the flip side of what I was just talking about with rolling your own VNC. Um, they're easier to use. Um, the third party does the hard work for you. They put configuration software on your host computer and your remote computer. And, um, and that's great. The downside is, just the flip side of the, your own VNC stuff. You've lost control to a certain extent. Uh, you're going to pay a fee. And there are some questions about security for that as well. They're saying, well, if you're letting somebody else manage that connection, what's to keep them from snooping what you're doing or, or logging in themselves. And, sure. uh, and I don't feel any risk with respect to log me in. Right now you and I both use log me in. We've, we've used it for a while and, I have never had any issue connecting to my computers through LogMeIn. They have always worked, so they seem to handle, you know, firewalls and routers very well. I've I've connected from hotels, I've connected, um, you know, from work, I've connected from home, I've connected to other people's machines, and I've I've never had an issue connecting. So I think, you know, whatever magic voodoo that they're using to connect seems to be working. Yeah, they you know, LogMeIn goes through firewalls and routers like a champ. It just it just works, and I'm not even sure scary. how they do it. But it just works, and that's what makes it kind of the winner in my mind for this type of service. Yeah, um, you can use LogMeIn either through their web interface. They do not have a dedicated app, which is one of the downsides of LogMeIn, or one of their iOS apps, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And one of the things that I do really like about LogMeIn is you have the ability to manage multiple machines, even with their free service. So, with their free services, is pretty basic. It's just basic remote desktop. You you don't get any audio, you don't get any, um, you know, special features like high def video or file sharing. You sign into their website or you use their iOS device. You log in, you download their helper application, the LogMeIn app onto the computer that you want to control. You associate it with the account that you intend to use to control that computer. And I've got uh, four or five Macs right now. Well, no, I have four or five computers, I think three Macs, two PCs set up through my LogMeIn account for computers that I regularly manage. I've got, um, you know, my parents' machines, my grandparents' machines. I've got my machines. Gosh, I guess I have more than that. Logged in through or set up through LogMeIn so that I can access them through the LogMeIn web interface or through my iOS app. And it it works great on all of them. And you have the ability if a machine is asleep that you can uh, use the wake on land feature and send that, what's it called, the magic packet? Yeah. 
So it, it, it works. I use the free service. I have not upgraded to the pro service and I have found the free service to be fine for my use, which is accessing my own machines from afar or doing remote tech support for other machines. Obviously it's not as fast. None of these solutions are as fast as if you're actually sitting in front of the machine because there's going to be lag from, you know, internet connections on your side, internet connections on their side. And, you know, just the fact that you're not physical and, you know, the machine speed and processor speed and hardware speed, but for most cases, it's good enough. Has that been your experience as well? Yeah. I think log me in is great. I use just a free account uh, for, uh, for tech support to my family and friends. I use iChat. Now there is the pro version of log me in, which is 70 bucks a year. You get all the features of the free plus you do get HD video and sound, although that's PC only right now. They, they have said that Mac is coming soon, but they've been saying that for a while and you have ability to manage files and share files back and forth and remote printing, desktop sharing and screen blanking. I personally have found ways around some of these things using like Google cloud print if I really needed to, or Dropbox if I needed to, or just, you know, email to share files back and forth between the machines if I had to. Yeah. I mean, log me in really nails getting that connection made. I don't use it as much between computers as I do with the iOS. And we're going to talk about that later in the show. Right. Um, there is a competing product to log me in that is uh, called go to my PC. Their pricing structure really varies depending on what you want to do and how many machines you want to use. It's a little more expensive. It starts at $99 a year and varies from there, but it basically offers the same feature set as log me in. Although I do believe that they have a desktop application. I, it was hard to tell because you, you couldn't get a trial of go to my PC without giving them a credit card. And I, I wasn't willing to do that. Did you by chance try it, David? No, no, because it, once yeah. again, the, um, I don't need it. I I'm so happy with the stuff I'm using that I just haven't gone there. Although their, their product go to meeting product. I do use that routinely. Right. Yeah. Um, and you can do again with their, with their base level product, which again is a pay product. You can do file shares, you know, remote encryption, uh, remote locking, clipboard sharing. You can invite guests to view the computer. Now, the unique thing about go to my PC is that they, um, give you access to iOS devices free of charge where log me in used to charge for that separately, but they've, they've changed their model a little bit. And again, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to the, the iOS apps. Yeah. And so, so the point of these services are, you install the the management software on your your host computers, and right. then you can, and you you do need to set it to launch at login and, and have it active because if it's not obviously you can't get to it. And the Mac it runs in the menu bar. The PC does the same thing, and right. it's always watching for that connection. And it's I guess boy I'm going to screw this up. Uh, okay. I, I guess what it's doing is it's reporting to log me in. Hey, here's the PC David may want to talk to, and here's the way to get a hold of it. And then right. when whenever my iPad dials in and says, "Hey, I want to get a hold of that PC," it says, "Oh yeah, great, we've got that right here," and it dials a connection. I in my mind, I see like uh, you know the turn of the century operator that's got the little room with all the cords coming out of the wall, and then she plugs so and so into so and so, right? You know? Yeah. And they do that. They hook those cords up for you, and then you're good to go. And it's great service. I mean, it just works. So. That's kind of the reason why I lost interest in chicken of the VNC and trying to do this myself because I just didn't feel like I was qualified to. And I was really worried that I was leaving the door open somehow, whereas these services uh, are pretty secure as far as I can tell. Right. And there are ways that you can set it up where it connects automatically or that the person sitting in front of the computer has to give you access to connect. But, you know, so there, there are some things. 
One of the things that I, I like with LogMeIn is, is that you can configure it to be secure. You can, again, use a super secure password to access their website. You can change it regularly. And you can also kind of do a double authentication with them where they, in order, and it's a little bit of a pain, but if, if security is a concern, you can require that they email you before you get access, email you a code that you have to for a two-step authentication process. And I've actually turned that on. Yeah, that's smart. Um, well, we're going to talk a little bit about the different applications, both for Mac and for iOS, but we've been going for a while, so maybe it's time to take a break and talk about our next sponsor, speaking of security. Yeah. That would be 1Password. This is the perfect sponsor for this show, because as we've said already, <laughs> if you're going to set up remote access, you are giving the internet a way to get access to your computer, and access to your computer probably includes a lot of your personal mail all your files, probably your tax returns or whatever else you've got saved on your computer. And there is no better case for 1Password than dealing with this type of stuff. Right. So if if you're using one of these services, chances are it has some kind of password associated, whether it's your iCloud password like we talked about before, whether it is the log me in password or the go to my PC password to access their website or most of these services have some kind of password to, to use their helper application that says, hi, this computer's here, this computer's there. So most of these services have an associated password with them that you can change. And with 1Password, you can create strong, unique, insanely secure passwords that use letters, numbers, asterisks, you know, gazillion characters. Make, you know, look at what type of passwords these services will accept and just, you know, change the little 1Password slider and have them randomly generate a password and just go all out from there. Yeah, this is a place to go nuts. You know, you're making your bank password go nuts, making your remote access go equally nuts. And David, I know you've got the tip that you tell people where whenever you change the clocks, which is twice a year, you go in and you change your 1Password passwords to your super secure websites. In the 1Password application for Mac, you can set up um, groups, kind of like smart playlists or, or uh, playlists or albums in iTunes or in iPhoto. Yeah. You can, you can create groups or folders within 1Password. So what I've done is as I'm adding one of these passwords that is super secure to websites, not to say that everything's not, but you know, bank passwords, remote access passwords, login passwords, things like that, I've, I've got a... a a, a subset of passwords and rem- and one password that I call my super secure passwords. Yeah. And those are ones that I've got on your schedule that I change twice a year at minimum. Yeah. So if you want to hack me, wait until after the clocks change because yeah. then you'll get the most bang for your buck. Yeah. But good luck. So good luck. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> Cause I am using the heck out of one password. Hey, you have a tip in the outline here. Yes, I do have a tip for 1Password. So uh, this tip, I think, has been circulating quite a bit. I think our good buddy Merlin Mann started it with Back to Work. I, I, I thought it was Brett Kelly that started did, this. Did, or, well, Brett Kelly blogged it. So I don't know if, if it came from Brett first or if it came from Merlin first. And then TUAW and Lifehacker both picked it up. So why don't we give both Brett and Merlin credit for it? And then 1Password blogged about it on their blog. Um, but I'm, my guess is you've got bookmarks set up within Safari. Sure. Yeah. So you know that you've got um, these bookmarklets that you can set up within 1Password? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Well, did you know that if you just took one and drug it over to the other, you can create 1Password one-click bookmarks? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? So, so, so walk, walk us through it. 
Okay. So basically what you can do is you can add a button for any site, like your sites that you frequently use, like Amazon or iCloud or whatever, to your browser toolbar. So that with one click, you open a website and you log into it, assuming, of course, that your 1Password keychain is unlocked and that you've already you know, logged into 1Password. If not, it will prompt you for your 1Password login to login. So go to 1Password, find the login in the main 1Password app that you want to access quickly, put 1Password in Safari or your web browser or whatever side by side, and drag it from 1Password into the bookmarks bar of whatever browser you want to use that they make an extension for. And that's it. Two steps. Awesome. Awesome. So then you just click it and you're in. You're in. So you can go to 1Password blogs uh, and, and if you need more information on how to detail that out, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. So, so you can get Mac, uh, I'm sorry, so you can get 1Password at the Mac App Store for $49.99. If you go to their website, you can get a Mac and Windows bundle for those of you multi-platform listeners. Uh, that's $69.99. Uh, but we do have a link uh, to get 20% off. Uh, so use that and I'll help you out. Uh, and the iOS users, you can get the 1Password Pro, which works on both the iPad and the iPhone for $15, or just a regular version for either the iPad or the iPhone for $9.99 each. Thanks, 1Password, for supporting the podcast and making an awesome product. Yeah, appreciate it. All right, um, so let's talk about apps. We got we got actual apps on the Mac, and we got apps on iOS. So I guess maybe start with the Mac. Yeah. Yeah, and and I mentioned earlier iChat, and it's really a great remote access tool. Um, I use it when I have to do tech support with family members on their Macs, as I was talking earlier. I don't use um, LogMeIn for that. I guess we should say iChat slash Messages. Yeah, Messages now, and and I haven't tried it since I installed the Messages I've beta. I've used it, but it works fine. Okay, so it should work, right? Yeah. And that gives you full support. In fact, they've as the operating system has progressed, they've added the ability to use control keys and command keys with um while using the remote computer, you know, cause like I'm used to hitting command a to select all. And it used to be when I did that, when I was remotely controlling somebody's computer, it didn't work. And now it does. So yeah, they, they continue to refine that and it's got full audio support. The trick is when you set up a new computer for someone who you think you're going to be giving tech support at some point is to get them an aim account. Mm-hmm. And just well, or a, or an iCloud account. Yeah, an iCloud account. Now, I guess I'm I'm dating myself, really, right? Because yeah. if you have an iCloud account, that's good enough. And it used to be you didn't want to have to to have to pay for a mobile me account just for the access of remote access. But now you can just set up an iCloud because that you're going to do that anyway. So that makes it even easier. So set up a uh, uh, an iCloud account and use iChat. Yeah. And and this is really easy because all you have to do is tell the other person, just everybody who has a Mac has iChat or soon to have messages pre-installed on their Mac. And I've I've done this with people before. It's it's really no configuration for them as long as they have they have an update Mac. All you have to do is tell them, okay, okay, go into the go into the application folder and yeah, and then click the thing that has a little bubble. Okay. Now, you know. And if you you're smart, what you've done is you've already configured it for them set them up with an iCloud or an AIM account and added yourself as a buddy on their buddy list. Yes. Yes. And that will make life easier. And it's interesting. I don't do that as much anymore. Um, everyone in my family's become too Mac savvy. They're becoming more proficient. Yes. Excellent. I think watching me help them really does, does assist them in getting better at dealing with these stuff. Yeah. But, uh, it, and it's, it's, it's amazing how much more I, I just had this issue with someone who I provide remote support to last week 
um, he had a problem and we were on the phone and, and, you know, he wanted me to come over to his house and help. And I said, well, why don't we just launch this up on, on iChat? And it was, it was really a five minute thing that I'm sure we would have spent an hour at his house dealing with, or an hour on the phone dealing with and saved, saved me a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another way to do it, although it's not nearly as good, is, is Skype. Yeah, Skype, I, th- I think as of the latest version of Skype, you can share your desktop with someone, but I think it's view only. I don't think you can control with Skype. <sighs> Oolong. Oolong. Okay. Um, and uh, we, there's another third-party app that we were, we've both been playing with lately, uh, Screens. Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a fan of Screens. Now Screens has a has a Mac component and an iOS component and um the Screens allows you to connect to Mac or PC and it's really easy if you want to do it with your local computers. It uses Bonjour and it will save your settings and the new 2.0 version will even sync all of your settings via iCloud. So I set it up um once. I think I set it up initially on my iPad or my iPhone and then when I went to the other device or to, on my Mac, it um it it had all my settings already, so that was very helpful. Yeah, and it's it's really it looks good. You know, it, <laughs> I keep coming back to this, but you know, as Mac users, we want apps that where people sweat the little details, and Screens does. Right now, if you're using Screens off network and not on your own local network, you are going to need the Screens Connect, which is a helper app, which keeps again is is the piece that keeps track of the IP addresses and helps you log in. Now they do that verification with a with a username and a password. And that's again, something you're going to want a super strong, secure separate password for, um, because it's going to be keeping track of, and they install that via a system preference pane. Yeah. And screens also has a pretty remarkable iOS app, but we're going to talk about that uh, in just a minute. Yeah. Well, you know, why don't we talk about it now? Why don't we start talking about the iOS apps? Let's do that. Uh, So, so I thought I had remote access all figured out and, Mm -hmm. and, Apple came out with the iPhone, and to me, remote access from the iPhone was kind of a novelty. The idea of, and I figured out how to do it, and I could. It was such a small screen. Yeah, exactly. You've got this tiny, tiny little screen, and you've got a Mac or a PC at the other end. And I know some people. But you know, when you needed it, it was great to have. Well, in a, in a pickle, right? When you yeah. really needed a file and all you had your iPhone, you could do it. You could get by with it, but it was kind of nuts. Uh, but with the iPad, it's really something else now because remote access with the iPad allows you to turn your iPad into a Windows PC or a Mac. And while it's not nearly as fast or, um, you know, it's not this, the exact same experience, it's close enough for a lot of use. Right. And so all these developers and third-party providers jumped in with the iPad. And Screens is one of those. So yeah. So screens is a go ahead. Yeah, you, it's a universal app. It works both on the iPhone and the iPad, um, and it has, which I love. Please, developers, please make your apps universal. Well, you know, I I'm not sure that I would pressure developers to do that. I understand sometimes a iPad and an iPhone are very different versions, and it's hard work. And if it you know if they need to charge twice, sometimes it makes sense to me. But either way, screens is not one of those. It's universal, so you buy it once. It works everywhere. It supports multi-touch gestures, and um, it's just got a great interface for the iPad and, and remote access. I was just using it last night. I, I really like this app. Yeah. Now, Screens uh, supports, like you were saying, a lot of multi-touch gestures. Now, this is an area where you really want to go through. They've got some tutorials on their website, 
And you really want to spend some time, go through their documentation and their support settings, because you will learn so much going through there to see exactly all of the custom gestures that they support. And it, it may take a little bit of practice. Like I haven't quite mastered. There's a, I've, I've done it once or twice and it's, there's a custom gesture that you can use. You can, for example, and you can configure them within their apps. So for example, um, you know, swipe up, what do you want swipe up to be? Um, well, you can have swipe up show you mission control, or you can have it show you your application windows or your desktop or spotlight, or, um, you know, have a, have a custom keyboard shortcut or a custom, um, a multi-touch shortcut. Gosh, we've got all these, these phrases now that we have to keep straight and remember in our heads, um, to show you your, your, if you want it to be your app switcher, which I think is what I have swipe up becomes my app switcher or show your dock, which is important for me because I've got my dock set to, to hide or show your desktop. So you can go in and really customize the shortcuts of screens to make it a, a, a user experience that's specific to you and, and how you want to use things. So three finger swipes, four finger swipes, toolbar gestures, however you want to do it make them work. Yeah. Well, this is more than just a bolted on afterthought of remote access. It's really taking a look at the, the nature of the iPad and trying to figure out how to make it fit. Right. I'm trying to look, I can't remember how much I paid for it. Okay. So screens is $20 on the iPad or the, I guess the universal version for your iPad or iPhone. And it's $30 on the Mac. And Mm. that's about right. That's about what these apps go for. And I, I, screens has quickly become one of my, one of my favorite remote desktop apps. I use it all the time. Yeah. Well, I, I am, I'm a particular fan of the iPad implementation. I, I haven't really used it much going Mac to Mac because the stuff I have is working so well already. I mean, with the baked in de- uh, remote desktop stuff with the iOS, it just, I'm sorry, with the Mac OS. The screen sharing with, with, within the, the, um, yeah system. Yeah. Can I call it Mac OS still? Or do I have to say, I don't know OS if you 10? can call it. Well, maybe, maybe up until mountain line, you can call it. I mean, when Mac I, when I wrote that Mac at workbook, it got drilled into me so hard that I always have to say Mac OS 10, you know, cause that's the Apple branding that it's going to take me years to fix this. Well, you create a text expander snippet for that. Yeah, I know everybody tell me that I, I put that on, um, on Twitter and I got about 50 responses. <laughs> I guess I, uh, I need to, uh, <laughs> to fix that. Don't I? All right. Yeah. Uh, digressing. Okay. Another great um, iOS solution for remote access, in my opinion, is LogMeIn. Yeah. And LogMeIn has changed their pricing structure recently, which I think worked out well for me because I bought in early. But but I think the, the new pricing structure is also going to be um, very economical for, for a lot of people to get in on, on this. So currently, LogMeIn is free for just basic remote access. So you can get on your iPad and on your iPhone a free application from LogMeIn, a free account with LogMeIn.com, and have free, you know, iPad, iPhone to Mac, Mac to Mac, Mac to PC, iPhone, iPad to PC, whatever, basic remote access, share the screen. No frills, but you can get it done. And that's going to be plenty for a lot of people. Yeah. And so with the exact same LogMeIn client software on your computers that you were talking about earlier, you could get into your family's um, uh, Macs or PCs with your iPad just as easily as you could from your Mac. Right. Uh, you are going to have to install again, their, their free host software, just like you would with the, with the, um, 
with the web-based version. Yes. And see, when, when we bought it, it was before they had Was it 30 ser- bucks? I think it was twenty nine ninety nine when we bought it. It might have been thirty nine ninety nine. I think it was $40, and they had they occasionally run sales. And I got it for, I think, 20 when they had right. a half-off sale. Um, and so I've got access to it, and it has a file-sharing component as well. As far as I know, I think LogMeIn is one of the only, if not the only, um, um, solution that does this from the iPad with, with file sharing. And uh, But now, if you get it, it's free, but you don't get that file sharing unless you pay the $40 a year subscription. Right, but you do get some new features. You you With the paid version, which is either $39.99 annually, or you can you can buy what's called LogMeIn. Um, is it LogMeIn Ignition? Is that what it's called? Yes, I think so. Yeah, for $99, and then you have it for the life of the app, I guess. You get HD video and sound streaming. Now, again, that's Windows only. It's not Mac. So they're working on the Mac version, but ooh, they've been working for a long time. Um, uh, a, you know, cloud integration, file management, remote printing, and air print printers, and, and a photo app management. So you do get some additional features with the paid version. Yeah, and I don't, I'm not sure if you need that. I mean, take a close look. Um, I do like having the access to the file system, though. That's pretty nice. Well, let me give you an example of of something that I wanted to do recently that I should be able to do soon with LogMeIn, but I was not able to do currently. But it's it's kind of a distinction of what I I should be able to do with the with the pro version. Um, I found myself stuck where I I had some place to to be in an hour, and I had an hour to kill. But it it would have taken me you know longer to go home and go back, or you know, so I was just basically stuck for an hour. And um, I really wanted to watch a show on Hulu that I, I had on Hulu. And on my Mac Mini at home, I've got Hulu, the Hulu desktop app, which is basically the lean back experience for Hulu, where you can watch Hulu full screen. Yeah. And um, so I thought, okay, well, this is great. I'll, I'll, what I'll do is I had my iPad with me. I'll, I'll log into my remote access Mac at home with, with log me and ignition and I'll I'll watch my Hulu show. That'll kill forty five minutes, and then there'll be time for me to go, and and I'll be good to go. So I, I no problem. Logged into my Mac, pulled up Hulu, looked great, full screen on my iPad because this wasn't available Hulu Plus, and um you know because the the iPad doesn't support Hulu because it's a Flash website, but yeah, no sound. Yeah, whoops. Coming soon though. Yeah. Well. Coming soon though. Um. The the other thing that I think will be really killer and, and that currently works is um, log me in on the iPad with AirPlay to uh, Apple TV. Wow. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. Okay. Why not? So you can put your PC or your other screen up on the TV. Mm-hmm. I don't know how useful that is, really. I think there's situations where it could be useful. All right. Well. Oh, until until we get AirPlay with, with um, Mountain Line. Yeah. That's true. Now, now, another alternative, we talked about go to P- my PC earlier. They also have an iPad app or an right. iOS app. But there's no freebie here. It, it, it's, it's free with your subscription, which is a minimum of 99 bucks a year. Yeah. It used to be 10 bucks a month. Now it's just $99 a year. I think they've got a 10 bucks a month option too. Yeah. That's a lot of money, yeah. you know, for remote access. I, it's secure and you've got a lot of advantages from it, but I guess it depends how much you use it. I like the right. idea of just paying for log me in once and and being in. You had put an app in the uh, outline I have never heard of, Team Viewer. Team Viewer. Team Viewer is what we use all the time at my office. Basically, what we have at my office is, is um, our office is big enough that we have IT needs, but 
not big enough that we have a dedicated IT person and big enough that I am not going to be the IT person. Yeah. So um, we, we have a company that uh, we outsource our IT needs to, and they use TeamViewer to access us. And they do about 50 plus percent of all of our IT stuff uh, via remote access. And this is the application that they use is TeamViewer. And it, it works great. Now, TeamViewer has a free component. It is free for individual use. If you're using it for commercial use, there is a pay component. And then, you know, obviously, if tech support is your business, um, you know, you pay for it. And then you can do some special things like, you know, branding TeamViewer and making it look like your custom app and your custom experience. But anyone can download the app for, for individual use. And David, it, it makes it really easy because let's say you installed TeamViewer for personal use on your computer and someone, you know, uh, a, a colleague needed help with something, either on a Mac or a PC, and you didn't have them set up with iChat, you didn't have them set up with LogMeIn, you didn't have any of these other ways that you would normally connect to them. But you knew that if you could just view their screen for a few minutes, you could help them out with this issue. So TeamViewer, that you can either have them download TeamViewer, it works for Mac or PC, or if they go to the TeamViewer.com website, there's an option right there that says, click here to join a remote session. And it will download a temporary component of TeamViewer onto their machine. And each party has a, um, I, I don't have it open in front of me, but they basically have an ID and a password. Uh, in fact, I'm going to open it right now. Okay. Type, 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 type. Um, so they have a, an, an ID and a password. And so what they, what they say is, okay, David, um, you, you've got your ID in front of me. Give me your ID. I type your ID into my team viewer session. Okay, David, give me your password. I type your password into my password session. And now you and I are securely connected through team viewer. So we've, we've got to be connected either by phone or email or something where you can, you can give me this information. Okay. And then it, it's done. It's taken care of. All right. Um, and I can, I can control your screen. Um, it's for the free version, which is, you know, I wasn't going to pay for one of their commercial packages, it it worked well. It was it was basic remote control. You can decide to show or hide the desktop or the cursor, and you can even switch sides. So if you wanted to show the other person how to do something, you can say, "All right, well, I'm going to switch sides with you. Look at my screen, and I'll show you how I do this or how to do this." Um, and you can even transfer files back and forth. And there's even a a, a chat component if you don't want to stay on the phone with someone. Um, you know, you can chat them. So it's it's really designed for IT professionals who want to offer remote support to their clients and they've got, you know, pat, you know, prices for that, but if it's, it's free for individual use too. So. Yeah. When I use it work for my RDC connection to my compute, my windows computer is called jump desktop. Okay. And um, it's not, frankly, it's not as nice as screens. And and I want to look into screens ability to do RDC connections. It may have it. I just haven't got into it deep enough yet to figure that out. Um, if it does, I'll probably just switch to that, but jump desktop works just fine. I've been using it for years. And like my little story in court the other day, it works over three G it works fast. It gets in quickly and it displays the screen just right. So I'm pretty happy with that as an RDC client on iOS. I'll put that in the show notes. I think I paid like 10 bucks for it, but I think it's more expensive now. So you use just, you use jump to get into RDC? Yeah, it's just, it just only has one connection in it. It goes straight to my office PC. Okay. So I, I have a dedicated app for that. Right. And, and that uh, and way I, I don't have to install a log me in client or anything on my office PC. Gotcha. gotcha. 
Um, there's a, another app that um, is similar to screens. It's called iTeleport. They also have a, a Mac and a PC-based component. I'm sorry, a, a Mac and an iOS-based component. Yeah, you know, they kind of lost me on that one when they started asking for my Gmail credentials. Mm, they do. They do use your Gmail credentials to log you in. So that's how they handle the handshake, and I'm sure they're um, a fine company. And I don't think they're in a the business of breaking in. I don't even know if they have the ability to see my Gmail stuff that maybe just uses it blindly, but I'm not sure about that. Well, let's talk a little bit about what iTeleport actually does. Yeah. So again, iTeleport has this, this free desktop component called iTeleport Connect or this, this free helper component called iTeleport Connect that, that again, allows you to connect to the remote device and, and keeps track of all the information. Um, and they have both desktops and an iOS app. And um, again, it, their, their feature set is, is pretty comparable and pretty similar to others. It's got a very nice user interface. Um, again, one of their specialties is they work with many of Apple's custom gestures. Um, they also have some specialized keyboard and media keys like, um, you know, play, pause, function keys and things like that. Yeah. Have you used I I I, I tell No, yeah, I used to use it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um but you, I I bought it, I don't know, 2 years ago or I guess when the iPad first came out, that was the one I used for a long time. Uh but I eventually and I guess I'm not being really fair to them. It's it's a great app, but I eventually migrated over to Jump Desktop for getting into my PC and log me in for getting into Macs and um now I'm looking really seriously at, at using screens in replacing at least some of that stuff. Right. Um, there is one other app that I came across that I thought was, was interesting. And, you know, there, there's so many of these apps and there are only so many that I think like that we should cover for iOS. Cause if you go into the, the iTunes app store and, and you type in VNC or remote desktop, you're, you're going to get dozens of apps. But the, the other one that I wanted to mention, because I thought it had one other unique feature set is a, is an app called splash top. Now I, they've got a bunch of apps. They've got splash top desktop and splash top screen sharing and, you know, uh, things, but the unique thing about splash top, it, it's um, currently on sale for four ninety nine for their iPad version. I think the regular price is nineteen ninety nine, but it, it's, it's one of those apps that seems to always be on sale. So I don't know if the regular price isn't really four ninety nine. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, you know, um, I, I know this company back in the day, they used to make some great apps for the Palm pilot. Um, yeah. You know, splash ID, splash wallet. And I think they, they brought a bunch of those over the Mac. I've never bought any, I'm sorry. They brought a bunch of them over to iOS. I've never bought any of their products for the iPhone or the iPad, but they've been around for a while. These guys know mobile, but. And their desktop app was one of the top apps in the, in the, or I'm sorry, their, their, um their iPad app was one of the top apps in the iTunes app store last year. Okay. So I think it's very competitively priced again, four ninety nine, supposedly regularly nineteen ninety nine. Their big feature that differentiates them from the others right now is they include audio and video support. So that whole thing that I wanted to do about watching Hulu on my on my iPad while I had an hour to kill, I could have done with Splashtop. Yeah, and I think all of the solutions we've talked about on the show are probably pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I think we've probably given listeners too many options, <laughs> to tell you the truth. But uh, let's just stop for a minute and just talk about what we do. Uh, well, you want to talk about our, our last sponsor and then sum, sum it up? Okay, why not? Let's do that. We'll, we'll leave them hanging. All right. So Nice cliffhanger um, there. Nice. I know. All right. Know. Well, you know, our last sponsor is Pixelmator. The- Pixelmator is the ultimate example of what a Mac app should be. You know, it's 
lean, it's mean, it's beautifully designed, it's elegant. It is a simple to use, fast and powerful image editor for OS X. We've, Did I say it right? Yeah, we've we've got so many emails from listeners since we we took on Pixelmator as a sponsor, saying thank you for directing me to this. You know, uh, I got into this thing for thirty dollars, and it's so powerful, and I didn't even know it existed. So, what Pixelmator does is it gives you really superior image editing tools. You know, it's got layers based editing. Uh, tools for the basics like cropping and retouching and red eye, but it's also got all these filters and color correction. I mean, you can really go a long way towards um, pushing pixels on images with Pixelmator and at such a great price. Right. So you can, you can do everything. Well, you can do many things with Pixelmator that you can do with a lot of these over bloated, you know, much higher priced apps. Um, one of the things that that I've done is, you know, if you're using iPhoto or um, you can you can set to edit your photos in an external browser be, or an external editor because, you know, the iPhoto editor only allows you to do some very simple things. So I've set Pixelmator as my external editor for iPhoto. Um, and you can do some really cool things and make your picture look retro. You had a, a tutorial tip about that, didn't you, David? Yeah. And just to back up a little bit, what you were saying about iPhoto works exactly the same for Aperture. So I have Pixelmator as my external editor out of Aperture, and it round trips the the pictures out of Aperture and then back in, uh, into Pixelmator. Then when I'm done with Pixelmator, back into Aperture, just fine. So and You don't have to worry about where the file ended up or did you put it back in the right place and things like that. Yeah, and it supercharges Aperture for me. It makes you know gives Aperture all these additional tools for like a $30 upgrade. And um, something I'd like people to do, if you already own Pixelmator, definitely, and if you're just thinking about it as well, go to this website. It's pixelmator.com slash tutorials. And they've got, I don't know, it's like a hundred tutorials there where they walk you through all these great things you can do with the app. A lot of them are videos, some of them are walkthroughs. And I've been going through them just kind of slowly as I work on my own pictures in Aperture and getting better at it. And one that I just recently did was a retro style. They have a whole uh, tutorial on how to take a picture. And you know how everybody's doing uh, what is it, Instagram and they're, you know, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's really cool to take a, a picture you shot with your $500 Canon SLR and make it, and look, make like, it look like it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, make it look like something you took with like, you know, your $10 1970, you know, Kodak, but uh, it's actually kind of fun. So uh, they've got a walkthrough. Uh, so you put a, an image into Pixelmator and then it talks about using the sharpness and the filters to basically, you know, kind of, uh, to make it retro. And it's actually really cool. And I did this with a couple of family pictures and send them out and everybody's really digging it. And what's really fun, what you do is you take a picture of yourself taken in the seventies, what I did, you know, as a little kid. And then I took a picture of my daughter and, and retroed it. So it looked like kind of the same type of image. And, uh, and I sent it to my sister and she thought it was really cool. It's, it's kind of neat. So, I would check that out. I can put that that specific tutorial in the show notes, but more importantly, I'm going to put all of the uh, the tutorial page in the show notes. And uh, if you're thinking about Pixelmator, go check these out. If you already have Pixelmator, you know, up, up your game. Just go check it out. All this stuff is free on their website. And um, if you haven't got a good way to manage and um, and and to adjust, make adjustments to your photos, I just can't think of a better way to do it than Pixelmator. It's priced right at thirty dollars in the Mac App Store. 
And even if you don't really have much experience with this stuff, it's not that hard. You'll find that it's kind of fun to go in and adjust your photos. And if you do get it, uh, drop a note to Pixelmator, let them know. Once again, you know, it's like all these Mac app stores, they have no idea of knowing where the customers are coming from. And we really appreciate them supporting the podcast. All right. So, um, I guess here we are. So maybe we should summarize our best practices, if we can call them best practices, about how we use these apps and, and what we do with them. Yeah, we're an hour and 25 minutes in, so let's make yeah. it short. <laughs> let's, let's get to this. All right, so so David, how, how do you use remote access? Uh, by and large, the most remote access I do is RDC in the remote desktop client into a Windows computer at work. And like I said, I use it almost every day and at the office for hours at a time. Um, for getting into my Mac, I've been using LogMeIn, and it, that's from an iOS device. And for getting into Windows, I've been using uh, the Jump Desktop app. Um, and then between Macs, I've been using the Apple services, you know, uh, back to my Mac stuff. And then I use iChat for remote. And I think I explained that throughout the show. Although I'm really intrigued by screens, and I'm looking at that seriously as a replacement for several of those steps. Right. Um, kind of similar setup to you is what I use. Um, for my iOS devices, I, I've been using screens for local use, if that makes sense. So there are a lot of times when I'm at home, you know, maybe with my iPad in bed and I want to check on something that's going on on the Mac mini or check on something that's going on the Mac air, but you know, I'm so comfy and I don't want to get up and I don't want to get out. And I just want to get in very quickly to one of my Macs without jumping through a bunch of security loopholes. And I'm not saying security is a bad thing, but I just want to get in, get out, and get done. And I have found that screens far and away on the iPad or on the iPhone, because of the way that they keep and save your configuration, is the fastest way to get in. You get in, you just type in your user account password, and boom, you're in on your device. So I use screens for local use. In fact, I have uninstalled the screens, um, whatever they call it, the Screens Connect component on my my Macs because I, I don't use screens for accessing my computers when I'm not on my local network. So I feel pretty secure using that when I'm just on my local network. For those iOS devices and for when generally I'm off my network, I, I use LogMeIn for, and I have it configured for the Uber maximum security. I've got the, the super crazy secure one password. I've got the double authentication and then I've got to log in, you know, using my password to my computer. So three layers of of authentication before you can get to a, a computer using log me in when you're not on the network. And so do you go to your work PC that way as well? Uh, going to my work PC, I use RDC because okay. that's how they've, they've set it up for work. I would, I would like to use maybe another service, but RDC is how the tech guys at work have got it set up and they, they'd probably shoot me if I change something. Yeah, they probably would. Yeah. Um, and then I use screen sharing for my local Macs. Because it's you know it's built in. It's so simple. I use back to my Mac if I'm going to my local Mac. So that that makes it simple if I'm using a Mac to a Mac. And for remote support, it's it's really a toss up of of iChat screens and and LogMeIn. I'm using LogMeIn obviously when I when I have to connect to a remote Mac for um you know or excuse me a remote PC. Um, I I use iChat a good bit with with Macs, but you know kind of I'm I'm in the same boat with you that I really really like screens and I'm. I'm thinking I may move some of my people that I support via remote access to screens. Yeah, see, that's the thing. I don't provide tech support for PCs, so it's easier. I just do iChat. Oh, my grandparents are still on a PC. Uh, but as soon as it dies, as soon as it dies, they're getting iPads and we're being done with this. Yeah, yeah. They're getting iPads and they're getting a, a Don's iPad tutor and we're done. 
Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You know, we've gone a long time on this. Uh, I I do think that remote access is very useful and um, it makes, it makes it me able to use a Mac at work in a lot of ways uh, for certain applications, or I'd have to sit at that dreaded PC uh, for some of those apps. And uh, so I, I'm a big fan of it. Um, If you uh, got something out of us, let us know. If you think we got something wrong, let us know. But I I think we've given a good collection of apps and, and workflows to get yourself running with uh, remote access. I didn't think we'd have enough to cover a show on this and we just went an hour and a half. So yeah, I think we had plenty to cover. There you go. Um, Let's do a little feedback. Okay. Okay. So uh, uh, somebody wrote me uh, asking about RTF and iOS and, you know, rich text formatting. Uh, iOS has never really supported it very well. Um, iOS 5 is supposed to have RTF, but it doesn't really have a lot of it. Um, yeah, it never they they boasted about it, but then it never really got implemented. And, and rich text is the ability to embed things like italics and bold, and, and that's one of the reasons why I'm such a big fan of plain text because I don't have to deal with that. And I use Markdown to avoid it. Um, right. Ted Landau, um, our friend from MacWorld, wrote a really nice article on iOS and RTF, and it's just not there yet. I guess is the answer to your question. Uh, the what I heard from uh, Steve was, hey, how come? What app can I use to sync RTF between Dropbox and my iPad? I'm not aware of any. I mean, if you look at the apps that do use RTF, like Pages, they kind of bake their own. It's not something that's just a basic RTF system. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't think there's really a good solution for that yet. And I, I continue to believe one of the best ways to write on an iPad is just with text. I agree. Um, going back to our podcasting episode, we've gotten a lot of feedback from people about the uh, – free and open source um, application Audacity. So Audacity is available uh, for free from audacity.searchforce.net, and it is a full-featured audio editor. Um, It offers the ability to record. You can import and export a variety of different audio formats. It offers, you know, editing, you know, waveform editing. You can copy and splice tracks together. It works well with, with, with even large files. You can, you know, it's got some basic effects like, you know, echo and phaser and the wah wah. What 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 is that called? Is it called wah wah or waka waka? There's different names, right? Oh, are those the actual names? Um, but but you can you can alter the frequencies like the the bass and the boost the bass and and so Audacity is an is an excellent excellent audio um, app and it's it's free. Um, it's distributed under the GNU public license, so. It's it may be something worth checking out. We have just always, and I know a lot of people who edit their podcast in Audacity. We just always use GarageBand because it, you know, was free in the sense that it came with with iLife and it came with every Mac. And you know, I've always updated iLife, so in that sense, it's always just come, you know, with my Macs and something that I've regularly updated anyway. Yeah, and we're comfortable with it. Yeah. The um, I got a an, a few messages about this an offhand comment I made about my microphone during the podcasting show about how I'm doing dragon on it as well. It's the offhand comments you get more comments about. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, you know, I use dragon. I've been using lately. Dragon has a Mac app store app called, I think it's dragon express or what is it called? Dragon. Yeah. Dragon express. And it is in some ways in my mind, superior to the dragon dictate, which is the $200 app. The, um, what Dragon Express does is it just does text and it does it in a dedicated window. So you lose some of the functionality, but a lot of that stuff I always felt was kind of fiddly. I never really used Dragon to open windows and 
you know, search the web. I just use it basically to put in a bunch of text at one time without having to torture my fingers. Right. So for 50 bucks, you get in with dragon express. Um, it opens a dedicated window and you crank it out. In fact, uh, this is a good, um, connection to our show app title on remote access. So I'm in the RDC client with my windows computer up and mm-hmm. I will just open the dragon express window and dictate a whole bunch of text and just nail that to the clipboard and then paste it in on my windows computer and send it or do whatever I'm doing with it. And dragon express is great for that. Whereas if I had tried to uh, put the cursor in the windows computer itself, and to dictate to it because of the remote access connection, it would be a mess. Right now, does does Dragon Express also um, support the Bluetooth mics that I know you've used before? Uh, it does. I use it with okay. a Bluetooth mic at work, um, and it does not allow you to have the training automatically convert between mics. So every time you use a different mic with it, they want you to go through the training again. But uh, at work, I use a Bluetooth mic on Dragon Express on my Mac. At home, I've been using this Blue Yeti, and I, I used to have a wired headset mic that I would put on, but it's such a pain to get it out. Um, having Now I just keep the Blue Yeti on my desk and plugged in at all times, uh, pop open the Dragon Express window and start talking. And it's, it's really nice. It works great. All right. Well, I think that's going to about wrap us up. I think we've gone an hour and a half and that's long enough for remote access. So I hope, I hope you found something beneficial here. Okay. Uh, how do you get a hold of us? Well, you can find links to everything that we've talked about in our show notes, including links to all of these applications and the different remote access apps at www.macpowerusers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. Uh, you can also send us email at feedback at macpowerusers.com. And we're on Twitter. The show is at macpowerusers. I'm at Katie Floyd or David is at Mac Sparky. Yeah. And um, thanks to our sponsors, uh, Daisy Disk, 1Password and Pixelmator for supporting the show. Yep, and we love iTunes comments, so if you get a chance, pop on over to iTunes and and drop us a note. We would really appreciate it. And our next show is going to be a workflow guest. We've had to move some stuff around. It was going to be Rob Cordery, but he's doing a movie. So, uh, A movie star? Yeah, well, he's busy right now. So uh, we're moving the schedule a little bit. We're not exactly sure who the next workflow guest is. We have two people, and we're just getting the logistics worked out. So you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. It'll be a good surprise, though. Absolutely. All right. We'll see you next time. All right. Take care.